Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight, who's looking particularly festive, as you'll <laughs> see later. And, um, and our topic is to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is a prediction that Zacharias makes. We'll talk a little bit more about who he is, about what Jesus was coming into the world to do, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's something that has such a beautiful ring about that to us. Um, however, I must say that here at the end of 2015, uh, may I ask you, dear friends, are your feet like burning from how hot the peace is in the world? Um, <laughs> it's been quite a year, you know, the downing of airplanes and terrorist attacks and all those migrations and, and uh, all kinds of things going on in our world. And so you might be tempted to think, well, if Jesus was coming to guide our feet into the way of peace, maybe something went horribly wrong at some point because uh, we don't feel a whole lot closer to peace than we were necessarily. Um, has something gone wrong or is there something that we need to do? Hint, that is the correct answer. <laughs> and uh, so that's what we'll be exploring tonight. And I'd like to invite you to join us. So, so um, let's start with an opening prayer, shall we friends? That's it. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your holy name. You are the Word made flesh, the one God of heaven and earth. We pray for your presence among us. Please open up our eyes to the way of peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, good friends. Sending love out to those of you who are out online and getting the audio file and so on. I wanted to uh, update something from two weeks ago in Bible study, I think it was, or three weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about uh, misunderstood, uh, that the book that I was referring to that I could not find for the life of me before Bible study, I have since found with Cara's help, it's called Being Wrong by Katherine Schultz. And actually she wasn't the one who had the Pearl Harbor experience, it was another researcher named Ulrich Neisser. So I had misremembered that a little bit, which is characteristic of what she's talking about. But that's a really great book that I would recommend to you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and watch Misunderstood and see there. Uh, and now to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, why don't we start out by just reading this prophecy. Uh, the beginning of the Christmas story in Luke starts not with Jesus per se, but with John the Baptist, and not really with him, but with his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And you may remember the story that Zacharias saw an angel and was struck dumb because he disbelieved the message that he was receiving. And then after John was born and he named him something different than any family expectation was going on at that time, then Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and he said these beautiful things. So let's see, where does that start? Uh, let's start in verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and read this prophecy. You'll hear that there are two parts to the prophecy, and in the first part, it's talking about uh, the Lord, about Jesus, and then it back up, backs up to talk about John the Baptist and what he's going to do, and then it switches back to talking about the Lord again at the end. 
Let's hear this prophecy. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people mm. and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been, who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear <coughs> in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Okay, there's a lot of content in there. Um... I just want to bring your attention at the end of verse 74 to the idea that everything that was going on was to allow us to serve the Lord without fear. That seems to be what that's all about, that he would deal with the enemies and so on so that we could serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life, which is such a beautiful phrase to me. And then Zacharias' prophecy shifts from Jesus to John the Baptist momentarily here. So let's read about that. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Mm, to prepare his ways. Go on. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Now that is a fascinating phrase right there. Wouldn't you think you'd need to have knowledge of his salvation in order to have your sins remitted? You'd have to know first, right? So you, you'd know about his salvation, and then you'd do what it says, and then your sins would be forgiven. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says that you'd get knowledge of salvation by the... You know, once your sins are forgiven, then you know about his salvation. It goes the other way around, you know. You, you do follow the instructions on the box. You get to the point of sins being forgiven. And then you come into knowledge of his salvation. And so John would give people that. And what did John preach? He relentlessly preached, preached a baptism of repentance. Constantly talking about repentance and telling the people to change their lives. Change the way they were living. Be content with their wages. You know, don't gouge people. All that kind of thing. Go on. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Now, you see, it's tricky that halfway through that verse, the subject shifted deftly back to Jesus. John is not the day spring from on high. That's G Jesus is the day spring from on high. Another very beautiful phrase. Uh, and it's Jesus who has visited us. And isn't it interesting that back in verse 68, it said that it was the Lord God of Israel who has visited us. Interesting. And now that seems to be Jesus. You know, Jesus is the Lord God of Israel. Uh, he, he, the day spring from on high has visited us. And why did the day spring from on high visit us? Here's the text for tonight. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Mm, such a beautiful prophecy. Mm. And we're told right in the text, this comes from the Holy Spirit. You know, he, was, he was swept up by the Holy Spirit and he made this prophecy. Uh, that the whole purpose of this 
was two things, it says at the end there, doesn't it? To give light, and it seems like there's two groups of people, aren't there? There's people who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death who are in what's called grammatically the third person to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then it's the first person plural for the second group, which means us, our, and it says to guide our feet into the way of peace. So there's people who uh, apparently don't have a clue and the Lord is going to bring light to them. And there's an us, whatever that is, that the Lord is going to guide our feet into the way of peace. A very, very beautiful prophecy, I think, that's, uh, that's our focus this evening. Uh, the next thing I'd like to read is Isaiah. So let's go to the middle of your Bibles, and it's to the right of the Psalms. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Please. And uh, there is a prophecy. This is now we're back in the Old Testament, and there's a prophecy of the Lord coming into the world. And look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and see whether this rings a bell after what we just read. That's all right. Nine, two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Oh. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Oh, that's the same thing we were just reading about. Wasn't this almost the same words? Uh, the people who walked in dark. Isn't that interesting? To guide our feet into the way of peace. And it's talking about people who walked in darkness. They've seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, on them the light has shined. Then we'll skip the next few very fascinating, interesting verses, some of which are about battles and blood and exciting things like that. And then all of a sudden in verse 6, what do we have? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there's several reasons to read that tonight. It's, it's a powerful prophecy of the Christmas story. It identifies the Son who's going to be born into the world as the Father, much as we just saw, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he's visited his people. And then it says, the day spring from on high has visited his people. It, obviously talking about Jesus being born into the world. And I also want to draw your to attention to the fact that he's called the Prince of Peace. And Zacharias' prophecy said he was going to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then this next beautiful um, passage here, <laughs> verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Forever. Hmm. The, keep going. Ahead. The zeal keep going. of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Yes, that's right. The <coughs> zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So I've commented before in Bible study, maybe it was a year ago now, I don't know, but uh, I was really struck in doing one of these Bible studies that it doesn't just say uh, we'll be under the Lord's government and peace, which would be wonderful. 
it doesn't just say that his government and peace will last forever, although it does say that. But it says that the increase of his government and peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end of the increase. What that means is that in any given time period, it's going up. It's going to keep going up and keep going up. So there's a little bit of comfort in that, maybe, in the idea that it's, it's definitely foretold there that there's going to be an increase of peace over time. So if we're not at total peace, almost uncomfortably, you know, too excessively peaceful in our world right now, <laughs> uh, that's okay. We're, we're headed in that direction and it's going to get more uh, over time. In fact, and, and it's never going to end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Okay, so I just wanted to read that at the same time so that we've got that idea of, of the peace and the people who sat in darkness and so on. They seem very closely related passages. So basically what I'd like to talk about tonight is the elements of this prophecy, the feet, the guiding, the way, and the peace. Uh, it's curious it could have said, could it not, to guide our hearts into the way of peace. Don't you want peace? Isn't, isn't your heart where peace would live? Is it particularly essential that our feet be peaceful? Don't you want your whole self to be peaceful? Why is it singling out the feet in particular, that's odd. Or, or why doesn't it say to, to guide our minds? Doesn't peace have to do with the thoughts that you're thinking, the feelings that you're having? Why would you say your feet? It's curious when you analyze it. It's such a beautiful phrase. When you analyze it, you want to say, wait a minute, why to guide our feet into the way of peace? What does it mean about those feet? Let's have a look at some uh, passages along those lines. Okay, we're in Isaiah, are we not, right now? Let's turn to the left and go till we hit Proverbs. And I want to go all the way back to Proverbs chapter 1, if you will. There's a few things in between there, you know, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. You get to Proverbs pretty soon. If you get to the Psalms, you've gone too far. And I want to go to Proverbs chapter 1. After a while, Proverbs sort of breaks down into just all these little pithy sayings. But at the beginning, there's quite a kind of narrative sense to it. And this just uh, jumped out at me. Let's start at verse, um, oh, let's start at verse 7 there in, in Proverbs chapter 1. So this is Solomon, son of David, passing on instruction to his son. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Mm. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. I like that. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. So the book is just getting going here, and Solomon is saying, My son, look, I want to tell you how to live a good life. You know, I want to tell you the right way to find wisdom. Uh, and so what's the first thing he says about it in verse 10? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Oh. If they say, come with us, 
Let us lie in wait to shed blood. That sounds like a fun weekend activity. You know, if you have time and everything, but that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Yeah, sounds great. Let us swallow them alive like shale and whole like those who go down to the pit. Hmm. All sounds like fun. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Hmm. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. So this is the first thing he brings up is kind of a peer pressure situation where people are saying, hey, come with us. Let's do some great evil and make a bunch of money. What is, what is his advice? My son, do not walk in the way with them. Do not walk to guide our feet in the way of peace. Do not walk. Huh. Not necessarily about what you think. It's not necessarily about what you feel. Don't go with them. And what's the second thing that he says? Keep your foot from their path. Oh, keep your foot to guide our feet. Oh, doesn't that give us a little clue about what guiding our feet into the way of peace? Doesn't that have to do with the kind of lifestyle that we lead? It's our behavior. It's the walk that we're doing. And is our walk good, which will lead us in the way of peace? Or is it evil? That's not a peaceful way to go, to kill innocent blood and to try to take other people's wealth and so on. It says in, in the wonderful language of the old King James, refrain thy foot from their path. And why? For their feet run to evil mm. and they make haste to shed blood. Uh -huh. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird but they lie in wait for their own blood. Oh, they it's going to come back on them. They're, it's not somebody else's, you know, they think they're lying in wait to do harm to somebody else. They're doing harm to themselves by what they're doing. Go on. They lurk secretly for their own lives. Mm. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It ways, the way, there's the ways of it. So that's the not ways. the way of peace. The, the ways of everyone that's greedy of gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Wow. Okay. So there's an example of what not to do. You know, that, that's a way to use your feet that would not be uh, in alignment with peace. Uh, so it seems to be about the way that we live our lives. This foot metaphor seems to have everything to do, as many passages do in Scripture, to do with the way that we walk, the way that we live, the way that we're treating other people. Isn't that exactly what that passage just made clear there? Let's turn to the right back into Isaiah, if you will, and go toward the end to chapter 59, where we see another passage somewhat like this. At the mm. beginning? At the very beginning of the chapter there, yep. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Aha, that it cannot save. He doesn't have a short arm problem. If we're not experiencing peace in this world, it's not his fault. His arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Go on. Nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Sorry, can't quite make you out, Sonny. Uh, no, that's not the problem. What is it? What's our problem? But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, mm. so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your yes, there's lots of wonderful 
Go on. Has muttered perversity. Yes, it has. It has. It has. And uh, then it's talking about these people. It shifts into the third person. Uh, they have works of iniquity. The act of violence is in their hands in verse 6. And what does verse 7 say there? Their feet run to evil. Mm, you see, they, there it is again. So the feet, interesting that Scripture uses that expression again. Their feet run to evil. And? And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Oh, wow. See, isn't that similar? The feet and everything, the innocent blood. That is very much like the Proverbs thing that we just read. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Okay, and drum roll, please. The way of peace they have not known. Ah, there's another feet and way, you know, way of peace, feet, right? Isn't that beautiful? I love the way the, the, the Bible is the most amazing literature. When you first uh, um, encounter it, it, it seems like it's been written by somebody who has no idea which end to hold the pen. Uh, but the longer you look at it, you see this magnificent tapestry and the way that things interact. It just astounds me every week in Bible study. And look at that. Their feet run to evil. That's like the passage we just read in Proverbs. They make haste to shed innocent blood. That's like Proverbs. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting instruction are in their paths, which is the way that they're going. And then it says the way of peace they do not know. Go on. And there is no justice in their ways. Mm. They have made themselves crooked paths. Mm. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. And can we interrupt this broadcast to say that when John the Baptist was coming into the world, wasn't he, uh, you know, to like make straight the way of the Lord and all that, the, the mountains uh, shall be brought low and the, all that, uh, the crooked shall be made straight. Uh, these are themes that are going on in this whole Christmas story here. And whoever, read that last bit again at the end of verse 8. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Okay. The crooked path way. The crooked path, that's right. So when the Lord wants to guide our feet into the way of peace, it's not just that he wants to... Um, you know, say, well, this, this would be a peaceful direction for your life. Scripture tells us what that is. We've got to stop doing evil, stop shedding innocent blood, you know, stop taking away people's wealth and so on. These are not the way of peace. Scripture makes clear what the way of peace is. Why does it talk about our feet? Uh, there's a couple of reasons I can think of. One is that Swedenborg talks about the fact that we are multi layered beings. We have a, a spirit, we have the flesh, and just as our body, the sort of outermost or most distant part of us is our feet, in the human spirit, the outermost part of us is what uh, the epistles call the natural man, you know, that earthly part of us, that outermost part of us. That is, so to speak, the feet of all of us. So why do we want to guide our feet in the way of peace? Our souls are fine. They don't need help. They're fine. They're in a wonderful, nice place, having happy thoughts. It's this part, the lower self that's here in this world. These are our feet that the Lord wanted to guide into the way of peace. Another thing that occurred to me to say about that is that Swedenborg also says 
that the Lord and the heavens and this earth, every, the whole thing is in one giant human form. And of that whole giant human form, we are the feet, like people who are in this world are the feet of the heavens. And so getting us to walk in the right direction really helps the whole, generally it doesn't always happen to us, uh, but where the feet goes, the, the, the head will follow kind of, kind of thing. You know, if you can get the feet going in the right direction, it, you, you've got a good, good start there. Uh, let's read some more feet passages and think about that. Let's turn to the right to Jeremiah chapter 14. Look at verse 10 there. Thus says the Lord to this people, Thus they have loved to wander. Hmm. They have not restrained their feet. They have not restrained their feet. You see, isn't that about trying to keep your outer self on a short leash? You, you, you didn't hold your outer self back from the things that it naturally wanted to do. We read in Ephesians 4 that that, that, that old man is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. There are things in our outer self uh, that want to be destructive of others, that are greedy of, of gain and don't care about our neighbor and all that. If you let your feet go, that's the way you will be. You will just be that way to other people. So these are people who have not restrained their feet. Go on. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will, he will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Yeah, that's right. They had a chance, but they didn't follow it. They did not restrain their feet. Interesting. Okay, so doesn't that also speak to the fact that we have freedom? So you might say, well, there's not much peace in our world. I don't know what happens. But that prophecy of Zacharias, if memory serves from moments ago, did not, dear reader, did it say that Jesus is going to come, dig a trench and plant our feet in it, a trench of peace and plant our feet in it? It didn't say that. It didn't say he's going to dig a post hole and take our feet and just plant us in, in peace. It didn't say that, did it? It said he's going to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's a very different thing. And that implies that we have a degree of freedom in the way that we walk. That's why scripture is pleading with us uh, about what we do with our quote unquote feet. Now, could you turn to the New Testament, good friends, and we want to go out in the epistles. So if you go to the right of John through Romans and Corinthians, Galatians, I want to get to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six because this same kind of imagery comes up in the New Testament about feet. I just love the way scripture communicates. Uh, it's not talking about your physical feet and what you do with your physical feet. You know, it's, it's all about our outer self. Uh, Ephesians chapter six, uh, verse 10 starts with this riff about the armor of God. Let's just read that because it's so wonderful. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, mm. but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in mm. the heavenly places. Keep going, yeah. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. To stand, yes. Okay, go on. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, mm. another feet and peace passage. Isn't that nice? Mm. And it's very interesting. Swedenborg says that all the literature that was written back then was written, I came across the passage the other day, in pure correspondences. Uh, that, that's the way they love to express themselves. Is Paul talking about wearing Bibles on your feet? No, he's talking about the preparation of your outer self, that having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So do you see where we're going, good friends, that it's about the word teaching us how to lay aside evil. That's how to walk in the way of peace. That's how to guide your feet, the outer part of your life, and a very interesting statement there about wrapping truth around your waist and having your feet, you know, wearing on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then it goes on about the helmet of salvation and, and just a wonderful passage. Could you turn to the right from there and go through a few more epistles, get to the Hebrews, which is fairly large, usually not too hard to find, to chapter 12, a favorite of mine. It's just a great, I'd love to read this whole thing again. It's really great. But let's go down to verse 12. And this is advice. This is about how you have to go through chastening those who the Lord loves. He chastens uh, so that they may get better. None of that feels great at the time. But it's for our prophet in verse 10 that we might be partakers of his holiness. And uh, look at verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet mm. so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Ah, next verse. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Yes, look at that. Another feet and peace passage, isn't it? Make straight the path, as if you have a choice about it. Make straight the paths for your feet. Let, let it be healed. You know, allow yourself to go through a healing on that level and pursue peace with all people and holiness without which you're not going to see the Lord. So even after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and Paul and the others were writing these epistles, both of these passages were just from Paul, He's still advising people about the feet. It's about the feet. It's about the way that you live your life and getting your feet into the way of peace. So I think that's great fun. And the fact that it's not about um, guiding our heads or our hearts, it's not that that's wrong. Part of the guiding is that we have to be instructed in what we should be doing. So that's the guiding part. But it's our feet that need to change. So part of what's profound about that to me is that it implies that peace, as much as we may think in our culture that peace is a function of 
let's say, I'm not saying it isn't, but a function of, you know, let's say meditation or chanting certain things to yourself or somehow, you know, whatever. It's about thinking affirmations, or, you know, or trying to, you know, have your feelings concentrate on not stressful things or whatever. This kind of implies that the direction, the way to get to peace is not about your head. It's not about your heart. It's about the way you live your life. That's the way to get peace is to change your lifestyle, you know, to change the whole way. Those other things I just mentioned may very well be part of that lifestyle, but it's also about you know, when they're three days late with your car or when, you know, when stuff doesn't go your way or whatever. It's the way that you walk in your life, the way that you behave. That's part of what I get out of that idea of guiding our feet in the way of peace. And we have a choice. I hope to talk about that in a little bit. Let's, let's read some guide passages. I want to go all the way back to Exodus, uh, at the, all the way in the left of your Bible, the second book of the Bible. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 15. Now, what's happening here is that the children of Israel got enslaved by the Egyptians. And then Moses was raised up to be sort of a, a liberator for them. And he went and talked to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And there was all this drama and everything. And then they finally got out and all the Egyptian soldiers who'd been pursuing them were dead in the Red Sea. And Moses and the children of Israel sang a song to the Lord. And in that song was this verse <coughs> 13. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. I just liked that idea of the guiding. You know, mm. we looked at the feet. Now we're looking at the guiding. You and your mercy led the people. And what happened then? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The Lord led them with a pillar of uh, cloud uh, by day and fire by night. They were guided. So this guiding doesn't just sort of mean keep to the left. You know, and then you never hear another thing your whole life. Uh, it's a presence that wants to lead us step by step as we go through our lives. It's a long way sometimes from here to peace, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's a long way. But the Lord knows the way. And there's going to be guiding involved in this. Ongoing guiding, I think. Uh, let's turn to the middle of your Bible and go to the Psalms. Okay. I want to go to Psalm 32. Just looking at a few guiding passages. That's an interesting one. Verse 8 in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Very interesting. I'll guide you with my eye. That's that's the divine truth, uh, the Lord's understanding. Uh, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. So there is a, a cognitive piece to this, but what it's about is not just changing your thoughts. It's also about changing your behavior, the way that you live, your, your walk. That's how we get to peace. Does that make sense? 
Uh, let's look at Psalm 48. Verse 14. Another nice little thought. For this is God, our God forever and ever. Ever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Hmm. Nice. It's nice. It's a nice, I, I would like it even better if he was our guide and we didn't have to go through the death part, but he will be our guide. And this is surely also talking about a kind of spiritual death that leads to that rebirth, you know. He'll be our guide. He'll, he, he will take us through that. He'll be our God forever and ever. He's going to be our guide. Nice. Very friendly. Uh, look at Psalm 78, if you will. A couple of verses in there. This is a fascinating sort of history of everything that happened. Uh, and this is about the story we just read in Exodus. Uh, in verse 51 of Psalm 78, it speaks about where all the firstborn in Egypt were smitten and so on. And then what, it's, what does it say in verse 52? But he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Mm, next verse. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Mm. And he brought them to his holy border, this mountain which his right hand had, had, had acquired. Sorry. Yes, so that, that's Mount Sinai. He brought them all the way through. So he led them on safely. Isn't that nice? just a nice guiding passage? They're like sheep. He guides them in the wilderness like a flock. He leads them on safely so that they did not fear. Luke chapter 1, the first part of that prophecy of Zacharias was all about saving us from the hand of our enemies, delivering us to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. So the not fearing is part of the peace thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It seems like those things are linked, not fearing and peace. And so the Lord's going to lead us so that he'll lead us out of that fear so that we get to a different place. And look at verse 72 at the very end of that psalm. Oops, sorry. Sorry. I was switching to sorry. chapter 72. That was good. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart mm. and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Isn't that nice? Yeah. That's the Lord guiding. I just like those passages. They're nice, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And uh, turn to the right and you'll get pretty soon into Isaiah. And I want to go to chapter 58. Mm. Mm. Wow, let's start at verse 9. Oh, man, let's, we've got to start at verse 8. Keeps backing up. Mm. <laughs> the, tempted to sing. Yep. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. <laughs> your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Yeah, you see, this is what is needed. We have to lay aside those evils in order to get into this condition. Go on. If you extend your soul to the hungry ah. and satisfy the afflicted soul. What will happen? 
Then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Wasn't part of that prophecy that those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, on them the light has shined. Isn't that what we'd read? And what do we read in verse 11 there? That's very beautiful. The Lord will guide you continually mm. and satisfy your soul in drought mm. and strengthen your bones. Mm. You shall be like a watered garden. Nothing better. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Isn't that gorgeous? The Lord will guide you continually. So this is not a one-shot deal. Guide your feet in the way of, yeah, just keep to the, when you get over the mountain, just kind of, Head that way. You'll be all right. Can't miss it. No, that's not the kind of guiding the Lord does. It, it's, it's really, I'm with you here this way. No, no, keep to the left a little bit. Let's go around this way. You know, and he does that differently. For It's amazing how he does it. But he does that differently for every single human being. He knows where you are and he knows where the next step is. And so if you're willing, if you're willing to lay aside that other junk, he can guide our feet into that way of peace. And that's an ongoing guiding. And just one more passage. Can you go through the four Gospels and get to the book of Acts? Let's look at Acts chapter 8. Hmm. This is an interesting passage. Now, uh, okay, let's pick up at verse 27. We're just jumping into the middle of a story here, but in Acts chapter 8, verse 27. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And what was he doing? And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Oh, he was reading Isaiah. Fascinating. He was sitting there reading Isaiah. I, he's an Ethiopian, very powerful person in charge of this whole treasury. And he's sitting there reading Isaiah. Go on. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Because back then nobody read to themselves. It was all out loud, you know, so he's reading the thing and he's, he's pronouncing the words of Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand what you were reading? Ah, and what does he reply? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? Oh, unless someone guides me. Oh, so this guiding thing also seems to have to do with text. Does it not, good friends? Doesn't guiding have to do with our understanding of the word? He said, how can I understand Isaiah unless someone guides me? And so Philip helpfully shows him what it means and tells him all about the Lord and so on. And so he got baptized and the story was extremely happy after that. So I just wanted to read that because of the guiding thing. Okay, and that brings up the fact of human freedom. Now freedom is something that it's just amazing to me, but humans seem to love endlessly to debate whether freedom exists, and they seem to love <laughs> endlessly deciding that it doesn't. But actually, it does. Because every single thing we do, 
we're in freedom all the time. We're making choices. I know they say, oh, it's all predetermined as your brain and every person all that stuff. But it's not true. We have freedom. We have choice. I know that there's lots of things that we're that we have no choice about. You don't get I don't believe you don't choose your parents. You don't you know, blah, blah, blah. You, you were just born at a certain place and time and you just have to deal with that and everything. But there's lots of choices that we make along the way. And the whole freedom thing is kind of what explains how our world could be sadly lacking in peace when the Lord came into the world to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's the freedom thing. It's that freedom thing. That is the, that's the catch 22. I mean, that, that's, that's an issue. Why would we be given that freedom? Why not just dig a peace trench and stick us all feet first in it? You know, why not plant us like a telephone pole or a fence post or something? Just stick us right in peace, get it over with. Why guide us? Why, why lead our feet into the way of peace? What Swedenborg has to say about this is that without freedom, and freedom has to do with our hearts. It has to do with what we love. If someone else were to just cram anything, you know, religion or whatever, down your throat, uh, you would not accept it with love. And why is it important that we accept it with love? Because the only thing that stays with us, what the Lord is trying to do is he's trying to work these things into us. There are various passages we don't have time to get into now where it talks about the Lord working things in. And what he does basically is to get us to love it, to give us a love of it. And the only way that works is if we're free to choose it or not choose it. That, that's the only way it works. So what the Lord is trying to do is to give us a heart that has compassion in it, to give us a mind that has truth and understanding in it. And the only way you can get those, he could just install it, you know, with a cattle prod or something, but it wouldn't take it wouldn't be taken in freedom and we would just throw it off at some point. Uh, the way that we've been created, we have this freedom and we have to embrace something through freedom. That's the only way. So that's why the word is full of commandments. In some ways, you know, commandments are a powerful thing, but in some ways I've been thinking it's so, you know, it's so passive in a way just to, I command you to, to do this. And then you have no control over whether they do it or not. It's not the most powerful way to interact with another person, to just tell them something and then hope that their freedom decides to do it. You know, the Lord could be a little more of a bully about this whole thing. Another passage I read recently in Swedenborg that I just love is it says, the Lord never forces anything on anyone. And I really love that. I think there are a lot of people who sort of think he does, you know, that he or, or he should be he should be pushier or something like that. That is not his way because he understands if you're not drinking it in with freedom because it's something you love, something you got interested in, something you're longing for, you know, something you desire. Oh, what is that? What is that? I'm interested in that. You say, well, now your heart is ready to hear something and pull it in. If you don't have that and you don't have that freedom, it, it'll just go off you like water off a duck's back. It's not going to stick around. So that's why we have that freedom thing. That's why we need guiding rather than just planting. The Lord guides us so that if we choose, we can put our feet into that way of peace. 
All right, we have fewer passages on this. Let's go to John, go to the left to John chapter 14. We only need to read one thing about this, I think. Uh, Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us in 14 verse 3. And I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And then what does he say? And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. No, the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Keep going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Yes. It's a very poignant point. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. So to guide our feet into the way of peace... What's the way of peace? Well, his name is Jesus. You know, the Lord is the way of peace. That's how you get there, is to form a relationship with the Lord. That's all we have to read about the word way. And also in John, let's go on later in that same chapter. Uh, while we're here, 14 verse 27 is one of these most beautiful passages about peace, is it not? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Yes. And how about John 16, verse 33? That is also about peace and another very beautiful passage. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In me, in me, right. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So part of this guiding our feet into the way of peace is to guide us toward himself, to guide us to the Lord. As Swedenborg says about this, that if, our, um, that if we are in the presence of the Lord, when we are in the presence of the Lord, we are at peace with our neighbors and we are safe from our enemies. Is that not the condition that we desire? Would that not be a nice thing to experience? How we experience that is called the presence of the Lord. That's, that's what we need. So when it says he's going to guide our feet into the way of peace, it's really guiding us in how to walk in such a way that he is in us, we are in him. We become one. That's the way of peace. And that journey will never end. We just we keep walking, keep walking. A few other scriptures I want to read around along that line. Go back to the middle again. We're almost done, good friends. Back to Isaiah, roughly in the middle of your Bible. Let's go to chapter 60. Mm. Okay. Let's read the first three verses of chapter 60, shall we? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Mm. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, mm. and deep darkness the people. Yes, the people. Yeah, that's right. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And if you wish to, friends, you could mark that passage all the way down to verse 14. It's very much about how people from all over the world and all walks of life will be drawn to the Lord. 
in time in what's you know about to unfold in our world and uh, so those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death are people who didn't know about the truth and are going to find out about it and be able to find a way out of their their situation that's very beautiful and turn to the right to Jeremiah chapter 29 which comes to mind when we're talking about these sorts of things uh, this is advice to the people who've been carried away captive to Babylon very counterintuitive let's pick up at verse 4 there thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel to all to all who were carried away captive whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon okay what should they do in Babylon <coughs> immediately escape right make their escape plan no what does he say no. build houses and dwell in them mm. plant gardens and eat their fruit mm. take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished and and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it for in its peace you will have peace there's a nice uh, way to proceed mm. you know pray for the peace of this world mm. in its peace you will have peace here we are in the Babylonian captivity are we not good friends and the Lord is advising us to make gardens plant them, build houses, eat the fruit, you know, go ahead and live your lives and pray for the peace of the place where you are. Uh, and then let's just look at verse 11 down there because that's a classic. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Yes, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Go on. To give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope so again you see the contrast that i was emphasizing earlier hopefully uh, between the doing of evil and peace those are two opposite things the lord wants us to move away from evil because it's not peaceful it's not a peaceful thing to do it's not a doesn't cause peace in our hearts or minds uh, the lord has thoughts not of evil but of peace for us to give us a future and a hope and uh, why don't we go all the way to the book of Revelation at the right-hand side of your Bible and then back up through Jude and the epistles of John to the epistles of Peter. It's right after the Hebrews there. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And start at verse 8 there. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, mm. but on the contrary, blessing. Blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil. And oh, isn't that like the refraining of your feet and the restraining of your feet that we read about before this time? It's your tongue. Mm -hmm. Refrain from evil. Uh -huh. Refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. That's right. Isn't that related to guiding our feet into the way of peace? It's somewhere you have to go. You know, it's not necessarily where you are. Uh, we have to go there. And what is verse 12 saying? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. There, there, that's another, I can't believe the themes, the little themes that run together in these things. We had that in another psalm, didn't we? Go on. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's right. So um, it is true, this has not been an entirely peaceful year. But that does not mean that the, something went horribly wrong with the Lord when he came into this world or that somehow hell defeated him after the fact or that, you know, uh, hell is plenty active in our world. Uh, but this prophecy still stands. He came into this world. One of the purposes of his coming was to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the way of peace is the way of laying aside our evils, the stumbling blocks, the, the things that stand in the Lord's way, the things, as Swedenborg puts it rather harshly in his chapter on repentance, make us detestable before God. We take those things aside, lay them aside. The Lord is very merciful and kind, wants to lead us out of all that and guide our feet into the way of peace, which is ultimately the way of the Lord. It is the Lord himself. He is the way of peace. When we're in his presence, when we're walking in him, then we are headed more and more into the direction of peace because it's prophesied that not just of his government and peace there will be no end, but of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. So that, good friends, is my Christmas wish for all of you. Thank you for being in my life and supporting this Bible study. I would wish you that peace of the Lord now and forever. Shall we close with a prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the Prince of Peace. Thank you for granting us this awful freedom, Lord, and standing back and simply commanding us but sustaining us in whatever our choice is and staying with us. You go to prepare a place for us. You are the way. We pray to come into your presence at this Christmas season. We thank you for the little tastes of peace that we get along the way. And we thank you for guiding our feet into the way of peace. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can find that way of peace. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.